the fruit of the Spirit. And that's all I remember. Uh-oh. Yeah, Alyssa grew up with that. Oh, you I didn't. didn't know. I, I learned okay. a different song at my Lutheran school. I mean, it's the same song, but a different melody. That's where I learned it. And I, that was the first time I memorized it. And I was like, they made a song out of the Bible? That was my first recognition that people did that. <laughs> like, I didn't grow up with hymns and They Bible made a songs. song out of the Bible? I was like, sacrilege. I was a naive 12-year-old. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, what do you guys like? You like the setup? Yeah, yeah. What we uh, <laughs> we did some brainstorm. We looked at the last time that we co-taught, and we were both on opposite ends of the shot, and it was just awkward looking. And I was like, "This time, let's like sit down, let's relax." And it's Father's Day; I should be able to kick back, right? That's right. Amen. Can that you hear my agree. eye roll? Did you, I know I heard your eye roll. So. <laughs> Yeah, who's that too? <laughs> to both, he's like both of them. <laughs> oh man! So today we're um, ending. We are the uh, ultimate message, ending our series. And I think we've mentioned this before. I think it's really cool. We started this series. We prayed. We heard the Lord say, "Do the fruit of the spirit." We talked about it. Divided all that. And. Uh, then all of a sudden, my kids are starting to talk to me about the fruit of the Spirit. And I was like, are you learning about the fruit of the Spirit in, in Sunday school? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, wow. And I was like, I need to ask Teresa, did she do that deliberately? And so I remember asking her, did you, just, did you deliberately change your curriculum? And she goes, no, we started teaching on the fruit right as you started teaching on the fruit. And that's one of those really cool uh, coincidences that aren't coincidences because there's just something here. So I love that it was both generations were getting taught and learning uh, the same thing. So this is our, like I said, this is our final one. The subject is going to be love, which is huge. But I, but I want to go over kind of where, what we've been teaching and, and kind of the main idea of each uh, message that we've had so far. So obviously our Verses Galatians 5, 22 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Um, when we were going through this, we kind of came up with a word or a phrase to help us remember what each fruit is and how it, it's active in our lives. And, and uh, so just starting with peace, just remember peace is wholeness. Our peace comes from knowing our wholeness in Christ, who we are and everything we have in Christ. Because when we're on that foundation, then we can't be moved. Uh, patience is endurance. It is the ability to endure, to wait it out. Uh, that's why it's patience, forbearance, long-suffering, right? All of those principles. Kindness is acting like God. Goodness is being like God. Okay, uh, Faithfulness is consistency. Alyssa did a really great job on faithfulness. Consistency, showing up every time, even when you don't feel like it, even when the person doesn't deserve it, right? It's showing up. That's faithfulness. Gentleness is strength and submission. Self-control is trained discipline. Our joy comes from the intimacy that we have with the Lord. 
The joy is the shared relationship we have. And finally, love is everything. Love is everything. Yeah, the picture the Lord gave me was love is like the soil, the bedrock foundation, and then the tree comes up. So love really has a dual identity here. It's the soil and it, it's a fruit that we can bear. But it's, it's so foundational. Without it, the rest of the fruit makes no sense. Um, okay, but I'm going to read Matthew 22, 37. Uh, sorry, starting with verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of, in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And how many you know there's the hidden one? You got to love yourself if you're going to love your neighbor like yourself. Uh, verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on to these two commandments. You've got to have, like, like Miko said, love is everything. It, it encompasses everything. It uh, fuels everything. Without it, the rest mean nothing. Yeah. And I had this revelation this week. Um, it, it hit me this week. He, the the Pharisee says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And he responds with two. So he doesn't answer the question as it's posed, which is important to be aware of. And I was like, okay, why did you give him two, not just the one? Because if, I think, I think it's this, I think it's this. If he just gave him the one, love God, with everything, right? That Pharisee probably goes, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. Because they understood that to love God is to obey God. Love looks like obedience to God, right? Jesus says, remain in my love as I remain in the Father's. I listen and obey to the Father. That's how I remain in his love. You know, John, if you love me, you'll obey me. So that's the core of loving God, obeying him. So a Pharisee goes, that's what I'm doing. I'm obeying him. I'm following all the laws. So Jesus knew if he just answered with the, fir the first one, that Pharisee goes, great. And if he just left that in the Bible, we'd read that and go, great. We need to be like the Pharisees. So he follows it up with, but the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying the first commandment is love God, and the Pharisee understands that means obeying God. And then he says, so then the first thing you do to obey God is to love your neighbor, which immediately would be controversial to that Pharisee, by the way. Because that Pharisee believes, I don't need to love my neighbor. I'm not supposed to love my neighbor. I only reserve my love for God's people, and only for the good people, the ones that are going to temple, the ones that are doing the sacrifice. That's who get my love, the ones who are obeying the law. And Jesus comes and says, love your neighbor. Now, we already talked about the word neighbor. Mm -hmm. That word is everybody, because everybody's your neighbor. Right now, you guys are my neighbors, because we're in proximity to each other. When I'm out in the world and I'm in the store or I'm in the car, everyone driving around me, they're my neighbors. So I'm supposed to show them love. Lord, help me. 
show them love. <laughs> right? Because just that first one makes us Pharisees. It's the second one in conjunction with the first one that actually teaches us how to be Christians. I just, it's really important. If we go to 1 Corinthians 13, which we all know, if I speak the, in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have, what? I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have, I gain nothing. It doesn't work without love. Yeah. And I love because there's a list right after that, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. perseveres. Love never fails. Those are all the fruit. Those are all the fruit. Connect that to Galatians 5.22. You have patience. You have kindness. You have humility. You have, uh, does not dishonor others, isn't self-seeking, not easily angered, self-control. Rejoices with the truth. Rejoice. Protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. All the fruit is in love. When you describe love, you are describing all the fruit. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been taught this, the Galatians this way, but I was taught initially the fruit of the Spirit is love, and love looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Have you ever heard that teaching? Because you can look at love and go to Galatians 13 and say, in love is all the other fruit. That's why it's a dual identity. It is a fruit, but it's also the soil that all the other fruit grows from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can have you know, bedrock of love, and not be walking out or bearing all the fruit, you know, because we're all in a work in progress, but we can't grow any fruit without that foundation. We we can try, but we're going to look like the world, and it's not going to have that uh, everlasting love, and uh, that's our motivation. We should be, everything we we do should be motivated by that love, uh, and that's that's how we ought to live. (laughs) Yeah, so love is... A journey, not a destination. I feel like I've heard some Christians say, you know, oh, well, I love everybody, so I've arrived. And the thing is, uh, while love is constant, love changes. Love evolves. And the biggest example I have is is this guy right here. The way I loved him in 2012 is different than the way I love him in 2023. And in fact, if I showed him the love I showed him in 2012, it would probably probably be harmful now. Just because life has changed, we've changed, we've grown, it's a constant uh, change of how, you know, from day to day, if you're married, you know this, your spouse can be really annoying sometimes. Uh, I don't know if you guys believe it, but um, sometimes I get really frustrated with you. You're frustrated with your spouse, but it's another opportunity to show love and to show love in a different way that, you know, your spouse, your friend, your neighbor needs to be shown love. Yeah, I heard it. I heard this 
uh, from an old pastor. He said, you know, my wife's been married to five men. <laughs> my wife's been married to five different men. And they're all me. <laughs> because we change and we grow. And humans don't stay the same. And so love has to change and it has to grow. Yeah. And we have to understand that we're different. So, you know, my example, children are amazing. Uh, and they teach you how to love. And they, they, you know, and if you're a parent, you understand that challenge of I'm, I'm supposed to love them all the same, which is true. No kid should be my favorite. They shouldn't be, get more love than any of my other children. But my three kids are three different people. And I have to learn to love them equally, but differently. And the way I show love to one is different than the way I show love. And this is true for all the fruit. When, I was, when Melissa and I were talking about this, I, I was thinking about two of my children who remain unnamed. But one of them, when to sh the way I show that child patience is the minute I know they understand what I'm saying and now they're just playing games, we transition to a different thing. I don't, I don't need to sit there and keep on trying to explain because he knows it. So now if he still wants to act like a fool, something else is going to happen. Some other type of love called discipline. Uh, but with another one of my children, maybe it is sitting there and really taking the time to make sure. And it looks what we would all perceive as patience. It looks more like patience. Some people might go, you're not very patient with one of your children. And I'm like, no, I am. I, w I took as long as it took for him to understand, which is what patience is in that situation. And now he understands. You might not realize he understands, but he does. And I realize it. So now we're going to do something else. But with my other kid, you might go, wow, you guys, you took a lot of time with him. It's like, yeah, because he needs it. That was showing love. That was showing patience, giving fruit in different amounts and in different ways to the person in front of me, mm -hmm. which is what we need to be aware of with all the fruit, and, but especially with love, because we like to sometimes just do this blanket standard of love, which is where I go, I love everybody. <laughs> and it's like, oh, because it doesn't look like it you do or it doesn't seem like you do. Have you ever heard the, um, you don't have to like them, but you have to love them? Yeah. I, uh, I got really upset at God because he really started talking to me about that, going, you know, that's not real. And I said, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Let me not like them, please. <laughs> Just let, I could love them. I could be respectful. I could be nice, but I, don't make me like them. <laughs> like, why do I have to like them? And he goes, it's just not real. How can you love somebody and not like them? And I was like, well, where did I get that principle? Well, I know exactly where I got the principle, but that's another story. But um, it's a good one because it means I don't have to do anything if I say the right thing. Because most of us will do that. We'll say, well, I don't like them, but I love them. And then we'll just make sure we're never, we're never around them. <laughs> because we know that I say I love them, but if they're around me, I won't act loving towards them. See, so it's an out. It's not real. Like, and the Lord was challenging me, you can't, and, and there's a reason, like, there's a, there's a principle here, we talked about in First Peter, when uh, he, he's going through the list of, of things, to your faith, to your conviction, add faith, add knowledge, add self-control, he goes, add mutual affection, he says, add mutual affection, and to that, add love. The word there for mutual affection is Philadelphia. 
And the word there for love is agape. So he's literally saying, have brotherly love, have mutual affection, which is action. And to that, add the conviction that you'll love them. And so the Lord started challenging me. You can't say, I don't like them, but I love them. Love looks like something and it changes. You have to realize and talk with the Holy Spirit about when you're with them, what actions do you show them? How are you acting loving to them? You have to work that out with me because you can't get away with saying, I don't like them, but I love them. It's in 1 Peter. Dad, where is it? 1 Peter. Uh, love is, it, when it says, to add to your conviction, faith. Yeah, do you remember the chapter? Is it? Oh, 2 Peter. Okay. Yeah. So it's in 2 Peter. Yeah. Thank you, Dad. I knew he knew it because I got done and he goes, yeah, I preach that or I pray that verse. Good, good preaching. <laughs> like, Thanks, Dad. So I knew he knew what I was talking about. Um, on top of that, where love changes, it's a destination. It's not, it's, a, it's not a destination. It is a journey. So you never arrive. On top of that, I also want to say love is inclusive. Love is inclusive. We do this all the time. Um, as Christians, we do this all the time. We make love exclusive. We go, some people get it, some people don't. We make people act right before we love them. And that's wrong. <laughs> right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Do you know what that word is? God so loved the world. Sorry. That word, world, is cosmos. It means everybody. It means everything. Okay? In context, we know it means everybody because he says, he, he says, so he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So we know when he says, he's like every man. So every person, God loves them. So that's what we're supposed to do. So that's what we're supposed to do. The problem is we have other places in the Bible uh, like 1 John 2 and uh, uh, James also says this where it says don't love the world. John says, do not love the world, my children. And James actually says, do not be friends with the world. So James even makes it even more severe. And so we have these two seemingly opposing ideas. God loved the world, and we're supposed to be like him. But John and James tell us, don't love the world. Don't even be friends with the world. And I think sometimes we get caught in that tension, and we get caught in that crossfire. Are we supposed to love the world? Are we supposed to hate it? John and James are talking about the systems of the world. Okay? Don't love the systems of the world. Don't love the lust and the pleasures of the world. Don't even be friendly with that. But when it comes to people, you're supposed to love people. That's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor. But what we do is we associate people with the system so we can hate them. And we do that. And it's deliberate. Like, sometimes I, I'm like, I think maybe, but no, it's deliberate. Because we understand, we get that dichotomy of we're supposed to love our neighbor, God loved the world, but I don't want to love that person. So if I can make that person a part of a system I'm supposed to hate, 
then I can hate them. And whatever that system is. In today's world, it, it, politician, right? Homosexual. Religion. A different religion. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> from a Christian point of view, a denomination that doesn't believe what I believe. A Christian denomination that doesn't believe what I believe. And when we can put them in that system, that we, then we get an excuse, we think, to hate them. But it's not true. It's not true. We're not able to, you know, the, in Jesus' day they did that. Their words were different. Their words were Samaritan, Gentile, tax collector, prostitute. That were, those were their words. And they said, if you, you are those, we don't have to love you. And Jesus came through and said, no, that's not true at all. You're supposed to love all of them. The woman at the well was a Samaritan. The good Samaritan story is actually a judgment against the Jews because the Jew, filled with self-righteous, leaves the man in need. But it's the Samaritan who's considered a half-breed and an outcast that actually takes care of him. And who are we supposed to emulate? We're supposed to emulate the good Samaritan. So we have to be careful of the, the judgments and the labels we put on people. And the thing is, I do believe in hate the sin, love the sinner. I do believe in that. I think it's important to take people away from their junk because we're called to do that all the time. I do that all the time with you guys. I love you despite your junk. And I, you're welcome. <laughs> and I am so grateful that you guys do it to me. Thank you, because there are, there are a number of people here who have known me since I was in sixth grade. That's a lot of junk to filter through, right? <laughs> Go ahead, yeah. It, an, another thing, too, along with that, um, it's really um, tricky, because as, as we kind of group people into these, you know, these segments of where we can justify our hate or dislike or whatever, we withhold our love, it's... It's like uh, we can begin to dehumanize people, and that's, um, I just want to, like, put that out there as kind of a warning, because it's a slippery slope to say, okay, well, this politician believes this, or they're a part of this, whatever, you know, and then your language, you know, it just can be a slippery slope of dehumanizing them, which is exactly the opposite of what we're called to do. Yeah. And I'll say the challenge for you guys, and this is, anybody can take me up on this. Read the Gospels and tell me at any point Jesus judged someone based on their sin and said they were somehow unworthy. Find it. If you can find it, I am prepared to pay you a dollar. And you get to hear me go, thank you, because you just taught me something. Okay. That wasn't a Pharisee. Let me hear it. Jesus calls somebody a fool, sure. The foolish rich man? There's, it wasn't a Pharisee. Jesus reserves his harshest judgment for the church. So, my, my, yeah, so the thing I say is, so find it. So you have something in your head, I want you to find it and let me, let me hear it. Jesus reserves the harshest judgment 
for the Pharisees. And so it's a very interesting challenge that I have when I'm in the world. Because I see stuff that I'm like, that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. There are, there's stuff floating around, and there's things. And I'm like, are you, how? Did, how are we here? Right? And sometimes I'm like, and I have to remind myself, if Jesus was right here, what would he say? What would he say? And he'd say that's ridiculous, but where would his heart go? No, I, I agree. I don't think like I'm wrong. I'm not saying, if you look at some of the crazy out there, I'm not saying we're stupid for thinking it's crazy at all. I'm saying we have to be careful that our judgment of the thing doesn't leak onto the person and make that person unsavable, unforgivable, a lost cause. Because so often we do that. We create enemies based on what they're doing. And a lot of times, sometimes it's, it's most understandable when they are doing something that's attacking us. Like, I can get that, because I struggle with that. I have to sit there and go, okay, love that person even though that person is, like, deliberately, like, aggressively attacking the church. Or love that person even though they're really aggressively attacking, like, the, like if you go on YouTube, Christian YouTube is full of conservative evangelicals that do nothing. All their videos are just attacking charismatic churches. And because I'm weird, I go on YouTube and I watch them because I find it interesting. But I have to watch myself because I have to go, what if, am I starting, if I start to get resentful or angry and suddenly this person becomes less of a Christian or this person, my judgment on their, what I perceive to be their error starts filtering down onto them, I have to go, okay, I need to stop ingesting this, right? Sometimes I think, Self-control, exactly. Sometimes I need to practice that fruit. Sometimes I think if Jesus came like we all want him to, <laughs> sometimes I think we'd be surprised where he aims that sword. I really do. Because I get the Jesus in the first coming is different than the Jesus in the second coming. I get that. I, I get that. But at the same time, I think that's why we have a theology that says all the good ones are going to go away <laughs> first. I think that's why, because people go, ooh, if Jesus came, and I'm still there, and he pointed that sword at me, you know. <laughs> and that's why having love as that foundation in heart, our reason, yeah. it's got to be our reason for living. Because it, it's like our compass, too. Because uh, like Nico said, if I'm talking with someone or talking about something or seeing something and I have that check in me that starts to say, ooh, I don't like them. They're doing something ugly. When that first check, that's my, my check to say, okay, Lord, I need to disengage and get back connected to you and your love. Mm -hmm. Because somewhere along the way, I've made a judgment or I've made a, uh, um, yeah, a something, some declaration of untruth. And I've got to get reconnected to that love. Yeah. And it's tough, too, because there's this, we're fighting as a church, we're fighting internally and externally, because we have so many things going on when it comes to love. So the world is redefining love. 
in every aspect. And the one thing that just bothers me the most is, is the world has redefined love to mean affirmation. So if I don't affirm your choice, affirm your decision, then I don't love you. And that is not love. Love is not affirmation. I can love you and still disagree with the choices you're making. Yeah. Yeah. And to pull back to uh, John 3.16, he loved the world while we were still yet in our sin, while we were still a mess. Yeah. He loved us from the beginning. He loved yeah. us. Romans, so. Romans 5. While we were yet sinners, yeah. while we were enemies of God. So we can't feel, we can't get into a place, a mindset where we think we're better than God and that we have to make people get right before we love them. Yeah. Jesus didn't do that. God didn't do that. Why do we feel like we're so righteous that we we need to make people jump through a million hoops yeah. before we, we release our love to yeah. them? But this is why it's hard because the world is saying, here's what love is. And then you have this interesting uh, battle in the church because the church is responding differently. There's portions of the church that are taking the world's definition of love and they're saying, okay, we'll agree with that. And they're changing uh, their theologies and they're changing their beliefs because they're trying to become inclusive and they're trying to say, yes, and we love you. They're trying to practice the second commandment. We love you and because you say love is affirmation, then we're gonna affirm you and we're gonna try and make it, right? And you then you have the middle ground, which I think is where we land and where we want this church to land of, which I think, I say middle ground, I think it's the correct ground, I think it's the high ground, okay? We love you, we love you. We don't agree with some of the choices you make, but we love you. There's not one person in this world, my wife included, that I agree with every choice they make. That I think that everything they do, there's not one person, right? So it's like, but I still love you. We didn't really touch on this, but because love is a choice, we get to choose. Yeah. We get to choose that. And then you have another wing of the church that is completely in response to the affirmation is going the other way to go, I love you, but I'm going to define my love as only telling you the truth. And if you don't, if you can't handle that tough nookie. And so you have these, th in the, and so it's just, this is hard. So when we say love, and it's like, I'm not trying to make it easy. I'm not trying to make it seem like it's easy. It is completely hard. The, it's a fruit of the Spirit, which means you need the Spirit to do it, right? So it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. But the principle to understand here is the love we're talking about, for God so loved the world. That's agape. That's a love of will. It's a love of choice. That's why it can be defined so well by while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we showed enmity towards him, he loved us. He chose to love us. So the same way when the world hates me, when the world wants to talk down to me, when the world wants to call me stupid, I don't respond with the world. I don't respond back in that way. I respond with Jesus, which goes, while you still hate me, I choose to love you. And then I go, Holy Spirit, give me the strength, give me the strategy, and teach me how I do that. Because I need you to teach me how. I have struggled in a good way. This is good conversations that I'm having with God, I'm having with Charlie and Alyssa, 
where I'm like, how do we deal with a homosexual person coming into this church? Because I want that person to feel at home. I want them to feel like this is a safe space. Right? I want that. So how do we do that? But we also stand firm on the biblical definition of right sexuality. That's the tension we hold. And how do we communicate that without ostracizing them? And I understand, I'm not trying for perfection here. But what, like, I remember the first time I went out and we were knocking on doors, the first door we knocked on was a person who said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I've kind of walked away from that aspect of it. And I was like, I think I know why. And then he later said, oh, well, that's my husband. And I said, okay, that's, now I see why. And I wanted to say, you're welcome at my church. I'll tell you something. I, I felt like I couldn't say that. Not because you guys are terrible or anything like that. Nothing, but I just, I was like, but are you? Have we done that groundwork enough that we'll love that person? We won't try and change them. We won't force them to be anything. We'll trust God with that person. And that if somebody, because that's what, that's what, how, how many of you guys are saved? Okay, how many of you guys are saved because God loved you? Because God saved you, right? Like, that's how it works for everybody. I'm going back, it's his kindness, it's his loving kindness. It's his loving that kindness. leads us to repentance. And, and the challenge I had was like, I was like, okay, Lord, it's your loving kindness, now you use us. Like, so my goal and my desire is, Lord, let me be your loving kindness to that person. And I'm not saying you never confront them. I'm not saying you never talk to them because that's what you do. That's what we do as a brethren, as a body of believers who love each other. We confront each other, but there's that tension, and that's what I've been wrestling with in talking to God. I'm just going to be honest. I don't have an answer to this because you also have in 1 Corinthians, you have the man excommunicated from the church for sexual immorality. And I do know this line. I do know it's silly to judge the world by God's standard. It's, that's silly. You can't do that. The Bible says don't do it. It's a waste. This is spiritual knowledge. And to be unspiritual, it looks foolish. We literally have a whole doctrine saying if you're a sinful person, you're at enemy with God, you can't even approach God. It actually takes God taking the first step. You won't come to God of your own. He has to call you. We have this whole understanding. But then we take an, a sinner, we take a non-Christian, and we try and judge them and say, you need to understand, here's the truth. But, but God has to do that work first. You might be the final nail in the coffin of the old man that, that gets them to go to finally realize, oh, I'm sinful, I need a savior. But the Holy Spirit is the one who does all that work. Now there's, but then here's the trouble for me. There's a different standard once you're saved. Now you, now you do know. Now you do have the knowledge. You do have the spirit. Now you can spiritually discern, and now there's a whole other level of expectation. And, how, and so that's, that's where I struggle. And this is, this, is how, this is how complicated love can be. This is how complicated love can be. Alyssa joked about us, but we just got in a fight last night, and we haven't even resolved it yet. 
Thank you. And we're going to resolve it. And we resolve it enough to be up here and to act like we love each other. Because we choose. Because <laughs> we're choosing. It's a choice. I could have chosen to say, you're on your own, <laughs> yeah. man. This could have been an interview <laughs> with myself, and I would just would have been jumping <laughs> chairs. What do you think about that? I don't know. What do you think about that? Because it's, it's this constant. It's constantly evolving. It's a, love is a three-way relationship with anybody. Because it's my wife. I and Holy Spirit. And that's with everybody. Anything there? So I want us as a church to grow in our love our agape, the choice that we'll love the world like Christ loves the world. You see, the other aspect of love here is it's sacrificial. Agape love is sacrificial. We're not always called, I, <laughs> I'll say this about just love in a, um, a husband-wife relationship situation as it relates to the Bible, every time the Bible talks about wives submit to your husbands, every time there's an equal response for the husbands to the wives. Every time. It's always equal. And, and one of the things that I think is hilarious is Paul talks about men lay your wives down for your wives. As Christ, love your wives like Christ loved the church where he laid down his life. And I think most men get this weird macho thing. And we go, yeah, I'd jump in front of a bullet. I, I, I would grab a hat and jump on that grenade. You know? Like we get this macho view of it. And I remember God was like, this is before I was married too. God was like, that won't ever happen. And his first, my first thing was, thank you. <laughs> my second thing was, so then what am I sacrificing? And I go back to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will. Well, it's the fine, we, we, we focus on the life, and that's important. It's, but the first sacrifice was the will. What I want, my desire. And so if I'm to love my wife, and I don't do this as well as I need to, I need to sacrifice my will and my desire. That's the sacrifice. But that's in love. So if I'm to love all of you as best as I can, that means I'm to sacrifice my desire, my preferences, my will. That's when I show agape to you. And that's when you show agape to me. And you go, I want to do this, but we're going to go this way. Right? But that's why it takes Holy Spirit, because we don't do that naturally. We don't do that naturally. So I want us as a church, as a body of believers, to grow in agape, to grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit that we can move with him and sacrifice our desires and our wants for the person in front of us. Be it a Christian or a non-Christian, an adult or a child, 
anybody because everybody's our neighbor. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so, Father, we just thank you so much on this Father's Day. We celebrate that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die so that through his sacrifice, we can step into this thing called family and that we get to practice loving each other and loving this world. And I just pray right now that you would put in us a desire to submit to you, to submit our wants, our desires, our preferences, our thoughts, our offense, our, our own idea of righteousness. We submit that all to you. We lay it down and we just say yours, not mine. I just pray that our agape love for each other would flow from the wellspring of our relationship and our intimacy with you. That as you pour out your agape love on us, we're able to, to respond to you and respond to others in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen.